You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. Alright, y'all got your ears on? Y'all ready for this? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. I am John Hutspeth and welcome to today's show. I'm just going to throw this out here right now, right here at the beginning. Today's podcast, it's, it's got a little fire behind it. So, uh, to kind of give you a little backstory here, yesterday, uh, the Emperor himself, Mr. Dan Johnson out of Iowa, he asked me to be a guest on his show. And Dan's been doing a, a Anything But Deer series. Uh, which I liked, and so he asked me about hog hunting. Uh, I said, yes, let's do this thing. So I was all excited, kind of had my notes together and everything. Well, Dan calls me to do the show, and he was basically like, hey, if it's okay with you, I want to throw hogs out the window. (laughs) And I said, okay. Uh, And basically, uh, you know, Dan had been informed of some legislation thrown around in Iowa. He was pretty fired up about it. And so he asked if we could do a episode on kind of laws, regulations, and that type of thing, which I was all for. But, you know, I, I wasn't very prepared. Again, he hit me with it basically right before we hit uh, record. So, you know, he was asking me a bunch of questions about Oklahoma. He was asking, you know, am I happy with the regulations here? Do you think most people are? Um, are there things you would change? How do you feel about this topic and that topic? And and I really enjoyed the conversation but again, I was kind of unprepared, um, but it also, it just, it really got me thinking um, about a lot of stuff. It got me thinking about, you know, our regulations. Am I really happy with them? Um, I had recently learned of some legislation in Oklahoma that uh, that I was, you know, a little concerned with or fired up about. Um, one of them was sent to me by a listener. The other I found out about um, a board member on Oklahoma's National Wild Turkey Federation, uh, and then after uh, kind of all this came about, uh, another listener sent me another topic uh, from Kansas that kind of had me fired up. And so, 
basically it just it really got me thinking about all this stuff and um and i i i kind of copied a page out of dan's book today i took to instagram posted a whole bunch of questions got a lot of feedback that i'm pretty excited about and i'm going to share all that with this with you guys in this episode um but again kind of taking a step back it just uh it, it made me realize, in, in almost in a shameful way, that I, I've just not utilized this platform and this podcast in the most beneficial way. Um, and again, I, I felt a little shame for that. You know, we've, we've, we've had conservationists on here. We've had guides. We've had common folks. Um, we've had a lot of people on here. We've talked about a lot of different things. But I don't know if we've ever had an episode like I am planning to have today where we really get down to the nitty gritty and cover some like tough topics. And so that is my goal for today. I, I'm not shying away. Um, again, uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to talk about some legislation that is being discussed right now. going to talk about, you know, some things that have been passed in the previous year, some hot topics. Um, we're going to cover a lot of things today and I'm very, very excited about it. So I hope you guys are too. Um, yeah. And, and when you guys listen to this, my, my hope is that, you don't just listen to it. I want you guys to really listen to these topics, listen to the things I'm saying, and uh, and you know a lot of this is going to be somewhat my opinion. But honestly, I've I've been sitting in my chair for the last hour and a half researching all these topics also. So I'm not just you know pulling this out of thin air. Um, but I want as you guys listen to this, I want you to think. You know, how do you feel about these topics? How does this impact you? How does this impact your children, uh, future generations? And and not only that, but you know, let's say you listen to one of these things and it really strikes a chord with you in one way or the other. You know, maybe you really don't like one thing that I talk about. I want you to think about what would you do about it? You know, if like if you really, really are against something or for something, you know, what would you do? Would you contact your senator or your congressman? Would you, you know, t- contact Game and Fish uh, or the Wildlife Department? You know, what would you actually take action against that thing or for that thing, whatever it might be. Again, I'm, I'm pretty fired up right now. I've been thinking about this all day. Uh, this was not my plan for this week's episode. I'll throw that out there right now. Uh, but again, just yesterday talking to Dan about all this stuff, it kind of, it just really fired me up. And I, I've been daydreaming about it all day. I've been sitting in this computer researching it. And so again, that's, that's the plan for today. Just me, like I mentioned. Um, and so we got... We got a lot to cover. I got my notes typed up. I feel pretty prepared for it, and I hope you guys are excited for it. And and my hope, again, like I hope you listen to this, and I hope you send this episode to everybody you know because this is we're going to cover a lot of of hot topics in our state. And so, yeah, I, I don't want to take up too much time because we got a lot to cover. Like I said, I also don't want to cut our partners short, so we are going to do a quick little uh, commercial break here before we get into it. So that's what we got on the dock for today. I hope you guys are ready. Turn it up loud because we're going to get into it right after this. Deer season is over and now is a great time to pick up that property you've been dreaming about for next season. If you're looking to buy or sell a piece of property, give the hardworking agents at Arrowhead Land Company a call. Their vast experience and knowledge of the state give them a huge advantage when it comes to buying or selling your property. Their agents stretch to all corners of Oklahoma, and they are quickly growing their team to other states as well. That's Arrowhead Land Company, hardworking agents for hardworking landowners. There is truly no place like the great outdoors in Oklahoma. 
When you're out in the wild, you want your wireless devices to work. Unlike other carriers, Bravado Wireless believes that coverage in rural areas is important so that you stay connected. With competitively priced plans and coverage where you need it, the mission of Bravado Wireless is to keep you connected no matter where you are. Visit bravadowireless.com or check them out at one of their retail locations. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. Y'all have heard me talk about how useful Deer Lab is for tracking down those big bucks on your property, and its usefulness doesn't stop there. You can use Deer Lab for all kinds of critters, including hogs and turkeys. So just because it's spring doesn't mean it's time to put those cameras away. You can collect those photos, upload them to Deer Lab, and use all the same advantages you use to keep taps on that trophy buck to hunt down that big boar or strutting tom. Give it a look at DeerLab.com and don't forget to use code OKLAHOMAOUTDOORS when you sign up. Although we have had some crazy weather the last few weeks, things are finally warming up. And that means it's time to hit the water and do a little fishing. If you're looking to try something a little different this year, you need to check out Private Water Fishing. Private Water Fishing is a subscription-based website that gives you access to over 100 private lakes across Oklahoma and Texas. Y'all have heard me say it before, but these are not just little ponds. These are large 10-plus acre lakes, well-managed, that you get to all yourself. So go to privatewaterfishing.com and get fishing. And we are off. I'm going to try to slow my talking down. I'm a really fast talker, I've learned, uh, when I do podcasts, so going to try to slow it down and I want to make one thing clear right from the beginning. This is not a rag on the wildlife department podcast. Quite the opposite actually. Um, I want to, I want to actually, I'm going to start off by bragging on the wildlife department. Um, our first kind of conservation topic is, you know, wild turkeys. It's, it's no secret that turkeys in Oklahoma and really across the country, turkey numbers are way down. And, you know, last year we saw the wildlife department step up change regulations we saw uh the season taken back a few uh weeks um they you know being a southeastern oklahoma guy it didn't really bother me much because we've always had that shorter you know april 15th start uh but they went nation or not wait nation they went statewide with that and then they also took the limit down which i thought was great um you know if you're a hardcore turkey hunt hunter yes that is unfortunate but the good news is if these steps work they can change it back. You know, we can become a two-bird state again. They can move that um, season forward again if they need to. So, you know, I think that's one example that I wanted to start off with of the wildlife department doing their research, listening to hunters, knowing what's going on, and adjusting accordingly. And so most of the topics we're going to be covering today are deer hunting related. Um, But, you know, that's just one thing, like I said, I wanted to point out the one thing that they do well Um, this podcast tends to be a little deer heavy. It's just kind of the way things are. It's, you know, my biggest passion. I think it's a lot of people's biggest passion. Um, you know, if you talk to anybody in the hunting industry, they know that whitetail is king. Um, one of the most famous deer hunters in the country is Mark Drury. I have heard Mark Drury on more than one occasion talk about he really prefers turkey hunting over deer hunting. But he knows basically whitetails pay the bills, um, and they do. Uh, whitetail hunting, just, it's so 
you know, it's across the board. They cover almost all 50 states. Um, you can hunt them from east to west, and and it's just a it's just something that a lot of people love, including myself. And so, again, most of the topics we're going to be covering today are whitetail related. But uh, I wanted to throw out the turkey example. Um, you know, quail quail are quickly disappearing again nationwide, especially in Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma used to be a huge, huge quail hunting and upland bird game, uh, upland bird state. Um, but that's just another example of things that are falling off. And I don't think the wildlife department is to blame at all. I think that is changing agricultural practices that have changed that. I think that's pretty much been proven. Um, you know, when I was growing up, all I ever heard was it's the fire ants, it's the fire ants, the fire ants are killing the quail. I think that myth has kind of been, uh, put to rest. I'm not saying they didn't hurt. Um, but I definitely think now we know that it's, you know, loss of habitat. Um, you know, farmers are, you know, they're just farming is so much more efficient now. They're not leaving grain. They're not leaving stubble. They're farming right up to the property boundary, the fence line. They're not leaving that brush, that cover for, that the birds need to hide. And so, um, so yeah, again, just one more small example. So, but what I really, really want to talk about is, uh, we're going to get into some hot deer topics and what better way to start it off. We're just going to jump right in. We're going to talk about one buck versus two buck. Um, it's something that I hear all the time from, you know, it's an, it's a nationwide deal. It's not just Oklahoma. Um, but I mean, I have seen entire, uh, social media groups dedicated to Oklahoma becoming a one buck state. And so I want I just want to discuss kind of both sides about it. I get the argument. I understand, uh, you know, the, the best argument I have ever heard to become a one buck state is that it makes people more accountable. Um, you know, I had, uh, JD strong on our state's commissioner. He talked about how, you know, it's less than 10% of people fill both buck tags. Um, but I, I understand the argument where a lot of people are like, yes, but because you have that second tag, it makes you more likely to shoot a smaller buck on that, you know, using that first tag because you still have that second one in your pocket. And I get that. Um, I understand that completely, but I also, you know, the, the main argument that I always hear is, you know, such and such state could become the next Iowa. Everybody looks at Iowa. Everybody looks at their management. They have great deer hunting management. They're very, honestly, they're very trophy focused. You know, they are a trophy state. Um, But one of the main states that I hear that from is Illinois. Illinois, you know, they kill giant deer in Illinois also. Um, It's one of the top Boone and Crockett states of all time. Everybody's like, oh, if Illinois only became a one buck state, they would be better than Iowa. My argument against that is uh, Iowa is not a one-buck state. Um, It is a two-buck state. Um, Now, the way their regulations work is basically you get an archery tag. They then have a shotgun season that is actually closed to archery. You cannot hunt the shotgun season with the archery tag. And then once that shotgun season is closed, you can then get a late-season tag, which I believe works for muzzleloader or archery. Um, so it is a two buck state. And then actually, uh, I was, you know, I know this because I was just talking to Dan about it yesterday. If you are a landowner and, and, and their requirement is only like four acres, according to Dan, you can then get a landowner tag also. And so if you are a landowner in Iowa, you can theoretically kill three bucks. Um, and so I just, I just don't think the whole, 
if you become a one buck state thing, I don't think your problem is solved. Um, Missouri, two buck state, Tennessee, two buck state, Texas, three buck state, all these other states, they kill a lot of really, really good deer and they're seen as great whitetail states and they're not one buck states. Um, so I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that Oklahoma should stay two buck or one buck. I'm just laying out the facts that I just, I don't think it's as simple as you change this one simple regulation and all of a sudden there's 200 inch deer running around everywhere. Um, you know, Oklahoma is a very unique state. I talk about that all the time. It's very diverse. Um, you know, you have mountains, you have grasslands, you have, you know, basically desert. Um, and that's another thing, you know, one regulation is not necessarily going to be great for the entire state. Um, when I was talking to JD strong, you know, we talked about the whole two buck versus one buck and, you know, he assured us that it's, they're not just doing this just because, you know, it's all scientifically based. And another thing I want to point out is, you know, how many doe tags you get in Oklahoma. You get, you know, on top of two bucks, you can kill four does or you can kill all six does. Um, parts of the states have the additional holiday antlerless season where you can kill two more does. You know, all this tells me like they they are trying to get deer off the landscape. They are saying that we have an abundance of deer. If we were in trouble of running out of deer, they would be cutting those doe tags. You know, if you if you're trying to grow a population, the way you do that is you stop taking out the females. Um, that's how they grew deer populations when they were almost extinct. You know, you, you they had no doe tags. It was only buck. Now the populations have expanded, and now they say, hey, you can kill some does. Not only can you kill some does, we are encouraged does. Um, you know, I've had multiple guests on this podcast talking about that, how, you know, they kill so many does a year. Uh, and, and I, I honestly, I am guilty of not killing enough does probably. Um, but again, going back to the whole one buck versus two buck, I just, I think there's way more to it. And, uh, you know, me personally, I love the two buck, uh, state or that we're a two buck state. Because personally, I typically use that second tag as more of a management tool. Um, I have, in my little trophy room at the ranch, uh, I have probably five, at least five bucks that score under 130 that are all five years and older. Um, I've killed five-year-olds. I've killed up to eight-year-olds. You know, and, I, and that the eight-year-old I'm talking about, I have like seven years of pictures worth of them. And I know he wasn't a yearly when I... Uh, when I first got a picture of him, uh, and that deer at his very largest might have scored 125. Um, and if you're a one buck state, that deer's never going to get killed. If I had one tag, I don't care if that buck is six. If I have a a, a six year old 120 inch buck, and I have a 170 inch, you know, four or five year old buck. I'm going for the big buck all day. And I know most of the people out there probably are. You, you may think you're not, but when it comes down to it, if you have one tag, just like I was, you know, everybody was saying how, you know, if you have two tags, you got that extra. If you shoot a small one, well, it works the opposite way. If you shoot that small deer with your first tag, there is no trophy. Um, and so to me, it's, it's, it's more of a mindset, you know, and, and I think that's improving every single year. And honestly, I think it's more the younger generation that is is propelling this idea. And, you know, there's a lot of negatives to social media. But I think one positive that has come from that is just 
people see what is possible. Um, you know, if you if you let that younger deer walk, it could turn into what you see on Facebook or Instagram or whatever like that. And people are experiencing that all over the country, including Oklahoma. And again, I, I feel like it's the younger crowd almost teaching the older crowd like, hey, look what these guys have done over here. You know, they they quit shooting two-year-olds and now all of a sudden they're having these big three-year-olds. And then maybe they quit shooting three-year-olds and all of a sudden they have these giant four-year-olds. Um, and so, again, it, it all comes back to the mindset. If you, if you are using the two-buck system as an excuse to just shoot a buck, then yes, things are not going to change. But if you come at it from a conservation mindset, from a management sign mindset of, hey, there's, a, you know, whatever, you're the biggest buck on your property, number one on your hit list. If you're really, really hunting that deer, trying to kill that deer, and then say maybe that old warrior comes by, that old eight point that's, you know, six or seven years old and he's just never been very big, but he's pushing deer away and you get a shot opportunity at him and you use one of your tags on that buck. And hey, that's an accomplishment. Shooting any mature deer is an accomplishment. I don't care how big the antlers on his head. I I know some people claim they do. I honestly don't think a deer knows how big his antlers are. All he knows is, hey, I got an attitude. I got the body size. I can push people around. And so keeping that mindset, you know, really hunting, hunting for age, um, but also hunting for genetics, you know, that's again, in a one buck state, you're never going to be able to cull without sacrificing the good deer that you really want to kill. And so, yeah, I might've got on a little bit of a soapbox there. If you can't tell, I personally, I think I am a fan of of the two buck state for all the reasons I just said. And so I'm going to leave that one at that. I told you it was going to get fired up this episode. So we're going to move on. Uh, I can't say we're going to cool down at all though, because we're going to go straight into the next hot topic. We're going to talk a little bit about crossbows and, uh, right out of the gate. Um, I might get some hate from some fellow, uh, hardcore bow hunters, but if I'm being completely honest, I don't see, crossbows near as negatively as most people do um again starting with the positives they're great for young hunters they're great for older hunters they are a fantastic doe management tool we were talking about earlier how the state in general we need to take more does they're quieter than a gun you can use them more often than a gun um so yeah crossbows are great for those types of things and then also just like I think when a lot of hardcore bow hunters are angry at the crossbow, they just picture, you know, some Joe Blow rifle hunter who all of a sudden, instead of getting to hunt two weeks of the year, he gets to hunt three months and he's killing all the deer and everything like that. But I I just don't see the, the more relaxed guy who, you know, walks to his stand after daylight and lights a cig in his sand. I just don't see him all of a sudden becoming a big buck killer overnight just because he gets to hunt with a crossbow. Um, you, you, excuse me. You still have to get close. You still have to be silent. You still have to make movement in front of, you know, a white-tailed deer while they're at close range. Um, does it allow a person who may have only been able to shoot 30 yards to shoot 50 yards? 
Probably so. I know from experience that makes a huge difference. The 2% buck this year, uh, I had him broadside at 44 yards. It was low light conditions. I didn't feel comfortable shooting with the compound. If I had a crossbow, that buck would be dead. He would be on my wall right now. Um, so I can't say that it doesn't make a difference because, yes, it does. Um, uh, you know, as far as movement, it takes a whole lot more movement to draw a bow than it does to just lift a crossbow, aim, and shoot. I get that. But, I, you know, I don't think people are buying, you know, again, that kind of not as hardcore hunter, I'm going to say. Not that not that rifle hunters can't be hardcore, um, but generally your more hardcore hunters are going to be your bow hunters. Um, I just don't see them all of a sudden becoming this killer. I You know, they're not shooting 100 yards. Um, you still have to play the wind. You still have to be smart. So just overall, I just I just don't see crossbows as near of a big deal. Um, there are so many people that you know the 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 big line in the hunting industry is I'm okay with crossbows, just not in archery season. And I get that. I get the argument as a vertical bow hunter. The fact that somebody has a little advantage over me does it bother me a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Um, but again, for all the reasons I just listed, I just I don't see it as near as big of an issue as most people make it out to be. So, that, again, that's my two cents on crossbows. Um, like, them, like them or hate them, I think they're here to stay. I, I don't see them being banned anytime soon. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, again, I would encourage people to think about it. Think about the benefits. It gets more people in the outdoors. And so, I guess if I had to, if I had to lean one way or the other... I guess I would have to be pro crossbow and uh, I apologize to all my, my fellow uh, hardcore bow hunters out there. So, all right, we're going to switch gears just a little bit. We're going to talk about some of these things, uh, some of these legislation things that are out there right now. Um, and again, I feel like, I feel like I haven't used this platform enough to inform you guys about stuff like this. And so there are two big things that I want to talk about. Um, one is more exciting than the other. Um, and I'm not, again, I'm not really trying to say pro or against these things. I really just want to inform you guys of the facts, um, as far as I can see and let you guys know that these things are, are up. So first one, um, one that I, I, I say I'm a little torn, but I'm pretty excited about if I had to lean one way or the other, uh, Senator Blake, AKA Cowboy Stevens, uh, passed the, the, the bill has passed the Senate and has moved on to the house. It is Senate bill nine one zero, and it is for a early velvet deer season. So, uh, I'm going to read a quote here. It says Senate bill nine one zero aims to create a nine day archery season for bucks in velvet that would start the Saturday morning prior to the last weekend of August and go to the Sunday evening of the last weekend of August. So if that sounds confusing, just imagine our current muzzleloader season, the last week of October, and move that to August, and that's what they're talking about. So so they're talking about an early August velvet season. Um, 
from the start, I think this sounds awesome. I uh, I have always wanted a velvet whitetail. Um, last year, I went to Nebraska to try to shoot one. Didn't get it done. Um, the idea of being able to hunt a velvet whitetail on my own turf that I can prep for and scout for and everything, it has a lot of appeal. Um, and so to, to break this down for you guys a little bit more, I, I did a little bit of research on this. So this is being proposed to start in the 2024-2025 season, so next year. Um, They're talking about doing it as a draw, so you would have to draw a velvet permit. Um, It wouldn't just be go out and do it. Um, They're talking about, at first, it would only be open on private land. And again, none of this is finalized yet, but they're talking about opening it just on private land. Uh, if you kill a buck during this velvet season, it would count as one of your two for the entire year. So it's not like a bonus tag. It would count towards your normal bag limit. And they're talking about reserving 90% of the tags for residents, which I feel is a very good thing. Um, if you're talking about this, um, where I find a little bit of a, not necessarily an issue or problem, but one thing that kind of struck me wrong is if you if you read about this, the two main uh, reasons they are talking about introducing this season is one, more opportunities, and then two, revenue stream and tourism. Um, the more opportunities I get, um, you know, it's an extra season, extra nine days. Um, uh, Oklahoma has a lot of opportunity already. Um, I'm just going to throw that out there. We have one of the longer seasons. You know, if you're looking at at states east of the Rocky Mountains, you know, most of the the range of the whitetail, Oklahoma has one of the longer seasons already. So we already have a lot of opportunities. Um, You know, an opportunity to velvet buck is more rare. There are very few states with that. Um, You've seen more states have a velvet season over the last few years. But a lot of those states, if you actually do the research, um, I'm thinking of Tennessee here. Tennessee introduced a velvet season because they're having problems with CWD. And so they are using that. Uh, basically, bucks are easier to kill in the summer before they you know, disperse and move. And they're, they're actually trying to kill more bucks to get rid of CWD. And so that's a big reason Tennessee introduced it. Um, I don't know about Kentucky. I know they have a velvet season. I'm not sure if they had the same reasoning as Tennessee. Um, some states like South Carolina have, uh, they start, um, late August or early September. They just have a whole lot of deer there. Again, they're trying to lower numbers. And so, so I get the more opportunities thing. I think, um, one thing that struck a chord with me again on the next part, the, the revenue stream and the tourism, um, I assume based on this wording is they're talking about out of state hunters. Um, because you know, if you draw the tag, you are going to have to pay, I believe residents from what I read, residents are going to have to pay for a velvet permit. Um, I don't know if it's like you have to buy a tag and a velvet permit, or if they're just talking about it's an additional tag. Um, I just, what I'm trying to get at is I don't see a lot of extra revenue coming from residents and especially tourism. Um, and so I'm reading this as they're trying to get more money from out-of-staters. Well, if you're trying to get more money from out-of-staters, but you're limiting limiting out-of-staters to only 10% of the tags, 
I just don't see how those two things go hand in hand. Again, I'm not against it. Um, I just don't see how one of your main reasons can be, uh, you know, raising additional funds, but you're limiting those funds. So, um, again, not necessarily saying for against. Um, I like the idea of, you know, letting more residents have, especially if you're going to do a draw, which I believe is what they're talking about. Um, I do like, obviously, you know, catering to residents a little bit more. Um, but if you're saying one of your main reasons is to raise money off of out-of-staters and you're limiting out-of-staters, I don't really get that. And it, and same with the whole private land only. Um, I just don't know if adding a nine-day velvet season is enough to get an out-of-stater a reason to come and get a lease in Oklahoma. You know, I think people who, you know, obviously Oklahoma has plenty of people who lease from out-of-state. But I think those people are are going to lease no matter what. I don't know if adding a velvet season is that much more of a reason to get them. I could be wrong. I'm not sure. Um, so again, I, I don't want to keep keep saying for or against, but uh, I just don't know if the reasoning matches the reasoning the state is giving. So again, if they pass this, I'm all in. I think it, I think it sounds awesome. Um, I think. Sitting in a stand or a blind the last week of August sounds miserable, but I would probably do it at a chance of a velvet buck. So, um, yeah, mostly I'm just wanting to let you guys know about this. Uh, we'll get this again. This is Senate Bill 910 if you want to go do your own research. So, wanted to get that out to you. This next one I want to talk about, I don't have near as much uh, information on. I tried to do more research, and honestly, I just couldn't find it. Uh, this one was sent to me by a listener, and it's an article from the Archery Trade Associ- Association, a.k.a. the ATA. Um, and the article is saying that there is legislation right now to legalize air bows during archery season in Oklahoma. So I believe la- I believe it was last year in 2022, Oklahoma legalized air bows in the state of Oklahoma during rifle season. Very important part there. During rifle season only. Um, according to this article, they're currently trying to pass it for archery season, which is way different. You're talking going from two weeks in a, a season where you can use a rifle anyway um, to making it legal for three months. And to me, this is a really big deal and, uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm very against this. Um, I think there's a huge difference. A lot of people are gonna be like, well, you know, crossbows are legal. What's the difference? I think there's a huge dis- difference. You're talking about a, a air powered gun, really. Um, you know, it technically shoots a arrow and not a bullet. Um, but this, like you literally use compressed air to power this thing and they're shooting arrows much faster than a crossbow. Um, they're way handier. They're not as clumsy. They're small. Uh, you can shoot, I want to say I looked up an air bow and I think like that one on one tank of air, you could get like 14 shots out of it or something like that. And so, uh, I tried to do some additional research on this. I could not find anything online, honestly. Um, and I even tried to go to the link from the Archery Trade Association, from the, the the page that I was given. I don't know if I waited too long or what. I couldn't find it on their website. And so I, I wish I had more information for you guys, but I honestly don't. Um, anytime I tried to search anything, all I got was articles from last year when they passed it for rifle season. Um 
so yes, I, this is another one where I would really encourage you to try to do your own research, um, reach out to, you know, your local politicians and stuff. I think this would be a huge loss if this was legalized. Um, I was talking about, you know, earlier, I was kind of laughing at, you know, the guy who walks out there, lights a cig and, you know, shooting deer. I think this, I think this weapon would give that guy, the, the guy who's not very hardcore, who's just kind of out there to be out there. Uh, I think this would give him a huge advantage and I think this would be devastating for the management. It, it, it definitely the trophy potential of Oklahoma. So, uh, that was definitely a soapbox. I said I wasn't going to try to sway you guys. Definitely tried to sway you guys on that one. Uh, so, yes, I, I will continue to try to do some research on that and find the actual legislation. Um, and if I can find it, I will get that out to you guys. But definitely be paying attention. Be looking for it. Um, be looking for it on the ballot. Uh, you know, Again, if it's in legislation, that means it could be up for a vote soon. So, yes, be very, very aware. I think we need to keep air bows out of archery season one last quick note uh one of the uh in the article i read one of the an airbow manufacturer actually they were against airbows being used in archery season so if the people making these things say they're not a bow i don't think they're a bow all right let's move on all right i want to get into the polls that i talked about on instagram so uh i put out uh how about one two three four five i put out five questions a day on my instagram page uh okay uh, yeah okay outdoors podcast if you're not following me you should and uh i want to talk about the results because they're very very interesting um i did not get what i expected honestly um but i'm excited to share with you guys so first off, I want to say that, uh, again, these came from my Instagram. All of these were seen at least 60 times. At least 60 people saw the questions. All of these were voted on at least 20 times. And then uh, one thing that I thought was very interesting was all of these had different, different amounts of votes. And so I don't know if people just voted on ones they felt more passionately about or if some were maybe a shame to vote on one or not, but uh, I thought it was interesting that of the people who voted, they didn't vote on all of them. So I just wanted to throw that out there kind of from the beginning because I thought that was interesting. So the first question that I asked was just very simple. Are you happy with Oklahoma's rules and regs? This one was very even, which I didn't expect. Uh, 52% of people said yes, 48% of people said no. I really thought that the yeses would take this more. Yes, one by a, you know a very very small margin, but I expected more people to be happy with it. Maybe that's just just because I feel pretty happy overall with the rules and regs. Um, so yeah, that I don't know. I just expected more people to be happy with it. I would love if you're listening to this and you voted no. I would absolutely love to know why. And so. Um, yeah, please, please send me some messages and, and, and tell me why. The next one, the next question is, do you like the current dates of our muzzleloader and rifle seasons? This one was dead even. 50% said yes, 50% said no. Um, I didn't really know what to expect on this. I didn't really have a feel for it. Uh, I, I'm torn. As someone who's not afraid to pick up a rifle, um, and recently I've gotten a little bit more into muzzleloader season. 
uh, I, I kind of like the dates. Um, they are not in the heart of the rut. You know, we're not sitting there, you know, early to mid November with a rifle in our hands. Um, but you do have the advantage. A lot of time the deer are still kind of rutting a little bit there at the end of November. So it kind of gives you a chance. Um, I said, when I was on the podcast with Dan, he was asking about, you know, our gun seasons and stuff. And I said that if you really want to affect uh, the, the, the quality management of our whitetail deer herd in Oklahoma, I think the better season to move would actually be the muzzleloader season. Because there is a stark difference between the first weekend of muzzleloader and the second weekend of muzzleloader. That first weekend... Things are pretty dead, but by that second weekend, if you especially if you get a cold front, things are moving, and and a lot of young deer especially are moving because it's getting close. The does aren't quite ready, but the bucks are ready. It's a great time to kill a mature buck, um, but it's an even better time to kill one of those two or three year olds. Um, and so, and plus, you're pre rut. I mean, that's what it's called, the pre rut. And so you're also taking out bucks before they get a chance to breed any does, most likely. And so, uh, again, personally, I think if you're really wanting to make a difference on the quality of our state herd, I think you need to move that muzzleloader up a season. Do I want to do that? I don't know. Again, me and my personal bubble, I've taken some great deer that last this this year in particular. I think it was the yeah the last Saturday of Oklahoma's muzzleloader season. I killed an awesome 10-point buck, very mature, you know, five- or six-year-old buck. But there are people out there who are not as disciplined as me, and they're going to take that younger deer. And so, uh, so yeah, I, again, I don't know how I feel on this one. Apparently, neither do you guys because it was 50-50. Um, so, yeah, just, just something to consider. All right, this one I, I had some fun with. I, I really enjoyed the answers on this one is uh, it was how many does did you take? And I actually gave three options on this one. So I gave a zero, and then I gave a one to two, and then I gave a three plus. Uh, Something I thought was kind of funny, I only had one person say that they killed zero does. I'm going to assume that they're not the only person who saw that and killed zero does. I think they were just the only one brave enough to click the button. Um, The majority that answered, 58%. Uh, said they killed one to two. And then I had more than I expected, I think. I actually had 10 people uh, say that they killed more than three does, which I took that as very encouraging. Uh, I was very happy about that. And so um, not a whole lot to take away there. Again, I think you know there's probably a lot of people who saw it who didn't take any does and just didn't click the button. Uh, but again, it looks like it looks like the majority of people do shoot one to two does a year, and I think that's great. Um, I'll, 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 again, use a personal example this year. Uh, I personally did not kill any does, but I did bring in a friend who killed a doe. I kind of let that take the place of my, basically I gave him a doe that I would have killed. Um, on the current property that I'm hunting, usually what ends up happening is my brother, during rifle season, he goes out and kills uh, two does. Um, he hasn't, I don't know if he's ever killed a buck on this property. He's killed some on our other property. Um, this is the, I think this is the first year, maybe last year 
the first year that I, that more than two bucks have been taken off this property. And so we've usually been around that one to one deal, um, you know, like one buck for every one doe. And, uh, and again, you know, I'm trying to keep things in perspective. We're in more of a low deer density area. I, I, I almost feel bad saying this, but I just, I don't know if it's quite as important for us to take does in our area. Um, yes, we probably could stand to take some, um, but it's just, I, I feel like management wise, it's not as big of a deal for me to take more does. Um, I do need to get better at it. I know that's a very important aspect. Um, but yeah, it's something that it's, it's something that I'm working on. I'll throw that out there. So, all right, moving on. All right. Next question. Uh, that, again, another answer that surprised me. Uh, do you think crossbows have had a negative impact? And I'll, I'll also throw out there that this had the most votes out of all the questions. Mo- more people voted on this than any other one. Uh, but kind of surprisingly, f- only 41% of people said yes. 59% of people said no. Um, so it seems that a lot of people kind of took my stance on it as uh, maybe they don't like it, but it's not quite as big a deal as most people make it out to be. So uh, I did think it was funny that that one got the most votes. Um, so yeah, take that as you will. Uh, this last question, I thought maybe the most important question, but it actually had the least amount of votes. Maybe people didn't understand. I, you know, I was limited by, I can only use so many words in the poll. Maybe people didn't quite understand what I was trying to say. Um, but the question was, and I, I used a picture of my daughter, will your kids have the same opportunities that you did? Um, you know, basically, I, I thought it was pretty clear. You know, when your kids grow up, will they be able to enjoy the outdoors in Oklahoma just as much as you did when you were a kid? Um, and I am happy to say that 68% of people said yes, that they do believe that. 32% said no. Uh, and kind of like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, all of this stuff we're talking about, you know, all of this stuff is going to affect future generations. That's a big reason that, you know, we're all doing this in the first place. Yes, we all love to enjoy it, but I would venture to say, you know, you, you hear people all the time talk about how they used to be really into hunting, but then they had kids and now they're much more into their kids hunting. Uh, I'm not to that point yet and my kid's not old enough to hunt. But I can very much see that. I can very much see me taking just as much, if not more, enjoyment out of her enjoying the outdoors as myself. And so I thought that was a really good question. And I was very pleased to see that most people believe that they think that the basically that the future is bright. So that's all the questions we had. I'm trying to think of any other topics. Um, I did think of one thing that I forgot to mention. I, I almost hate to, but I'm going to go back to the old, uh, the old one buck versus two buck thing. Cause I, this thought came to me. I was listening to a podcast today at work and Dr. Bronson Strickland from the Mississippi state deer lab was on as a guest. And he got asked a question about like culling, you know, does culling work in the wild? Is it worth it? And, and, First off, the short answer is no. Basically, you there's no way you could have enough control in a wild deer population to really like cull and manage for genetics. Um, he does say, however, uh, you know, because this is something that can happen on a large scale, you know, most people when they're out deer hunting, let's say they see two deer out in the field, and you know, they may not know. 
the ages of the deer, but let's say you see an eight point and then you see a larger 10 point. Nine times out of 10, people are going to kill the larger 10 point. It makes sense, right? But what he was saying is that, you know, that eight point out there may actually be older and more mature than that 10 point. But because it has better genetics and bigger antlers, people are going to kill that 10 point. And again, across a large scale, this is what usually happens. And so what can happen is in in an area, you can basically hurt yourself because you are selecting the better genetic animals and letting the worst genetic animals live and continue breeding. So after a period of time, your genetics basically are going to decrease because you keep killing the genetically unsuperior animal. And so, again, going back to the whole one buck versus two buck thing, you know, if you are not good at aging deer, if you're not good at looking out there or going through trail cameras, recognizing the deer and your age and stuff, um, basically you could be hurting yourself by shooting a larger immature deer instead of an older mature deer. Um, Where I'm going with this is, is I think having a second buck tag to shoot that older, unsuperior deer. I don't know. That's not the way, right way you're supposed to say uh, insuperior. But uh, but yes, being able to have an extra tag to take a management buck, I believe, is a good thing, and it can help reverse that. You know, you can take out an older deer with less uh, desirable antlers and still have a tag to shoot that awesome buck that you want to hang on the wall. So yeah, I just thought of that while I was going, I meant to throw that in there earlier. Uh, and I wanted to make sure I said that. So sorry, it's out of order, but it is what it is. So, all right. Um, man, that's all I got for you guys today. Um, I hope that you guys took this in. I hope it was educational. I meant for it to be. If you have any questions, please let me know. If you have any input, please let me know. I would love to hear from you guys again. Um, man, posting all these questions on Instagram today, got a lot of feedback and I loved it. Uh, oh shoot. I almost forgot. I had one more thing. I didn't put it on my notes. I had one more thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, a listener, uh, that's what reminded me, uh, responded to one of my questions and ended up sending me a link. And, uh, apparently according to this, Kansas has just banned the use of trail cameras on public land. Um, that is just, it blew me away. Honestly, that is not something you expect from a state like Kansas. Um, I know some western states have done that. Um, I believe it was it was either Utah or Nevada. It was a you know really dry state. Um, basically their argument was that tons and tons of people were putting trail cameras on water holes and it was you know water is a limited resource and it was preventing animals from coming to those water holes and you know they were afraid that it was causing stress and animals were dying. And so they ban trail cameras, but, uh, that is not, I'm going to assume that's probably not a problem in Kansas. Um, I would love to hear, I should have done some more research. I would love to hear the reasoning behind it. Um, again, it was only on public land, not private. Uh, that I, again, that just to me kind of screams that it's not a ecological reason. It's more of a social reason. Um, but just kind of on this whole, conservation hunting rights topic uh, 
guys, this stuff is happening. It's happening close to home. We touch Kansas. That is not very far away. Um, you're having rules and regulations changed because of social issues and not scientific issues. And that's what we need to stay away from. You know, one thing that, that Dan was talking about is, or was who, you know, who should be in charge of the rules and regulations? Should it be politicians or should it be the people who work at the wildlife department? And obviously, overwhelmingly, everybody said the people at the wildlife department, but that's not how it goes everywhere. Um, to be completely honest with you, I'm not exactly sure how it works here in Oklahoma. Um, you know, I, I, I've used the word legislation a whole lot tonight, which leads me to believe that politicians have a pretty big uh, say in what happens in our state and with our wildlife. And so, um, again, Kansas is not Oklahoma, but it's 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 close. It's happening in states all across the country, all across the country, excuse me. Um, you know, an interesting case that just happened up in New Jersey, uh, their, their current governor, you know, one of the things he ran on was banning bear hunting. He said, we got to, you know, ban bear hunting. It's bad. Uh, I believe I'm correcting this. I believe New Jersey has, if not the highest, the second highest, but I believe it's the highest bear per capita number in the United States. They have, you know, more bear, more bears per square mile than any other place. And they banned bear hunting. And I guarantee you it was not because they needed to, because of any scientific reason, basically he fell to peer pressure. Um, and then what happened? He banned bear hunting like he said he would. And then like less than a year later, all of a sudden they're having all these, uh, bear animal, uh, you know, encounter like pet encounters and stuff, um, attacks. And all of a sudden bear hunting's back on the table because he didn't listen to the science. Um, so yeah, all that to say, guys, this is all very, very important. And, uh, I want to apologize for you guys or to you guys for not, not being more proactive on topics like this. So I'm going to try to do a better job of it. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Again, please send me any feedback that you have, any topics that you may have. Uh, again, you know some of these topics that we just talked about, I learned about from you guys, from the listeners. And so send me anything you got. We'll try to talk about it on here. We'll try to get the word out. And my throat hurts, so I'm going to go ahead and stop talking. Guys, thank you so much for listening this week. Uh, shoot me an email. Hit me up on Instagram or Facebook. Let's get the word out there, and uh, and I'm going to try to do a better job. So I'm going to go ahead and round this out. I love you guys. Thank you guys for listening. And until next week, I will see you all right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. have the right to the best wireless service. Bravado Wireless provides the best mobile wireless, high-speed internet, latest devices, and customer service at prices you feel good about. Bravado Wireless strives to put these values first and offer you the best wireless service available. 
See what they have to offer at bravadowireless.com or one of their retail locations in eastern Oklahoma. Let Bravado Wireless connect you to your family, friends, and business partners all over the world. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection.